This is AT Conversations. You can listen to the back catalogue at architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Hi, I'm Isabel Allen. I'm the editor of Architecture Today, and my two guests today are Sarah Edmonds and Sam Turner, who are both practicing architects and coordinators at the Architects Climate Action Network. How did you get involved with ACAN, first of all? Uh, so I was sort of wandering around, uh, been thinking about sustainability for years and uh, wandering around the XR protests and thinking that I should be getting involved in this, but not really wanting to go that far. Um, and then the the first Architects Assembly that ACAN launched uh, came up and I, I went along and had such a great time. I felt like the, the real energy in the room that I, I walked up to the coordinators at the end of it and said, how can I get involved and ended up hosting the next coordinators meeting at my office and got sucked into this vortex and <laughs> haven't been able to escape yet. And it's, uh, it's so joyful. I, I've met these incredible people and we are building something together and, and it's just given me so much excitement. And, um, and how much Sam, does it feel like an extension of your work as an architect? I think it's fundamental to my work as an architect and it's uh, it's so interrelated. Nothing is, everything is connected in this world. So uh, what I do as an architect, what I do professionally and, and personally is, is all part of this whole system. So understanding how we can do it better is just part of that ongoing learning process. Um, so um, Sarah, what's your story? How did you first join the movement? Well, you know, as a climate-concerned citizen, I'd been questioning and, and changing my decisions um, across my life, across the spectrum of my life, you know, my choices as a consumer, my choices as a parent. But I was struggling to find support for changing my choices or support for my choices as an architect, similar to Sam, being in, interested in sustainability and how to bring that in just as a fundamental practice. And that's quite difficult as a small um, practitioner, I think, just in terms of the resource that it takes but, um, you know, the systemic change that we've seen happening around us, notably with the climate youth um, movement, the urgency of that just seemed absent in the construction industry. Mm. Um, so I went to the Architects Declare event uh, back in the launch event back in 2019, um, which was an incredibly moving and galvanizing experience, but it was facilitated by the wonderful Anna O'Brien. And I met Sam there, um, who was one of her supporting facilitators as ACAN. And that's how I got hooked. So a couple of ACAN meters, meetings later, and I was the coordinator in the existing buildings group. And the rest, as Sam says, um, yeah. is history. And it has absolutely fundamentally changed things for me. So you're both coordinators. What's the structure? No, so I think everybody in ACAN has a similar story like this, being, being sort of drawn in by somebody, drawn in by an event, and and then you sort of realize that you found this collection of people all with the same sort of passions that you have and working in, in on these interesting projects that I, I never thought were possible before I sort of fell into it. Um, so the network is arranged. Um, so we have this broader network where you can come to meetings, you can get involved as much or as little as you like. Uh, it's broken up into working groups. So we have above ground thematic groups, we call them, where we're looking at specific subjects uh, in the built environment. So things like existing buildings, um, 
uh, we've got embodied carbon, uh, we've got planning policy and uh, various, I think we've got nine groups at the moment. The newest one is natural materials that have just formed. Um, but the, these nine groups work on, on sort of various projects and, and build campaigns there. And each one of those has a coordinator. So at least one, sometimes two, three or four sort of coordinators, depending on the size of the group, that just help make things run uh, more efficiently. Um, they're the sort of shepherds herding the cats. And we gather together into a, co- a coordinator circle. Um, and along with the thematic groups, we've got working groups that will do the graphics, run the website, the social media, uh, finances and things like that. And then we have a steering group as well where we're trying to make the ship go in the right direction and uh, try and share the resources as well as possible. So it's a little bit of an anarchist uh, arrangement. Uh, we, we sort of refer back to the holacracy as, as a way of organising. Um, but it, essentially everybody's an equal in the network. Mm-hmm. We all sort of work together and we just find the role that best suits what we need to be doing. So my current role is movement support coordinator. So I'm looking after all those working groups that are running the website and um, doing all the back of house things. Uh, and Sarah is currently the existing buildings coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, but we move around and we we sort of take on the role that is necessary at that time. And it's that, that fluidity and that dynamism that allows us to really adapt and, and uh, chase the challenges that we need to at any one time. The one thing I would say about it is that it takes a little bit of getting used to, I think, um, if you come to a meeting. We've had meetings where we've had new joiners and it's always really exciting to have new people come along and find it. Um, And you you sometimes get, you know, a question like, oh, can ACAN do this? And the response is, well, yes, you are ACAN. You know, you're here. That's what matters. If there's something that you feel passionate about, drive it forward, take it to the top. The support is here for you to do that so I think that's really key the difference is that you don't have to do something to prove yourself to be part of the membership to pay a membership fee to do any of those things you come you put your energy in and that's what's asked that's it and in that sense it's sounding very like Extinction Rebellion in terms of the sort of a lack of formal hierarchy and management and all the emphasis being on individual action as part of the whole and all those sorts of things what's your relationship to XR? So ACAM was founded on Westminster Bridge during the first uprising through uh, a few of our uh, steering group um, decided to band together and, and take take on the, the industry. Um, but I think really we've, we've learned lessons from what they are doing. We, we sort of are building sort of, we're learning from XR, from the Sunrise Movement, from the Youth Climate Movement that there's this, incredible energy in people and people ask about our leaders and we're leader we're not leader less we're leader full there's so many people in the network who have the ability to do incredible things and we just help empower them to do that and give them that support and and that's what it's really about the support network And let me bring it back very directly to the link with your professional life as architects. I mean, you have to earn a living. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? How do you reconcile the two? 
And um, well, let me ask you that first of all. How do you reconcile your work as practitioners with your work for ACAN? This is a really interesting question that a lot of people battle with. And it's actually one of the things that we battle with quite a lot because, you know, people have got to work and um, it's difficult when it feels like there's so much to be done. Where do you find the time to do it? And actually, it's just that it's just a difficult balance. We we make the time because we're passionate about it. Um, you know, as Sam said, currently we're we're just self-organized. We, we, you know, we don't have any funding at, at the moment for any any sort of paid work as part of that. So it really is just about using the power of the network that we've talked about before and ensuring that we've got as many hands on on the deck to kind of help those things. But if I'm being really, really honest, um, it just takes up more time and I'm having to sort of find time somewhere else to kind of bring about this change because once you start to see the impact that you're having as an individual as part of this collective it is very difficult to walk away from it because you you really do feel the groundswell beneath your feet um so I think it might feel like a bit of an ask at the beginning when you see okay I need to go to this meeting and that meeting and that's so interesting and I really want to be part of that mm-hmm. but actually yeah that's it sort of becomes you've sort of reached this threshold where you think, well, I can't back away now. There's too much at stake. This isn't something we can opt in or out of. You know, there is a real, very, very real threat of climate emergency. And if you are not addressing it, then you're going to be subsumed by it. So you've got to get on board. This is 80 Conversations with me, Isabel Allen. You can subscribe free of charge at architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash I I think the attitude of the industry has changed massively over the last couple of years and maybe it's because I'm sort of seeing it sort of closer at hand but I think we are attuned to to what's going on in the in the wider world and the uproar after the the IPCC uh, 1.5 degree report has just been enormous and, and we can't ignore that so I would hope that most architects at least understand that there is this emergency going on. But I I think the urgency isn't necessarily there yet. And although the RIBA are coming out with their mandatory competencies and things like that, we're very, very slow to change. And we just don't have the time. We really need to be addressing this and taking the leadership uh, and really pushing the the issues that we we see can make a, a difference. I mean, a key issue for, you know, especially practices who've got huge payrolls and have to keep their clients happy is obviously the get out clause is, well, the clients aren't prepared to pay for it or give us the time to do it. What do you say to those architects? How do we give them a mandate to kind of push an agenda that their clients don't necessarily want to pay for? So I think this is really a key part and in, it's where it's where you have to sort of start to balance your patience and your frustration. Um, so this isn't like we're not at a point where we have the answers and we have the solution and we know, OK, well, all we need to do is this and, and happy days. We, we've solved the problem. It, it starts with a conversation. It starts with language. It starts with how you value the built environment that you're operating within. And it really is about that. It really is about that sort of systemic cultural change. So I would argue actually that our job must extend far beyond the architecture profession. You know, we are in this silo. We always have been. We're not necessarily very good at communicating to the rest of the wider society what we do or what impact we can have. 
But speaking to younger architects, like this is a great time to be an architect if you engage with this, because it is huge. There's so much opportunity in in addressing this head on um, where, you know, it really does will allow for huge creativity. So I think it's it does start there. But to go back to this notion of cultural and systemic change, it's just in the language that you use to start with. So we had a great conversation yesterday with a group of people from different organizations and you know we were saying well what are the big things that you know what could we what would be great if we could just stop as a profession lots of other industries are saying well we're just not going to do this anymore what could we do and somebody was saying well let's just stop demolition or let's stop building tall buildings and obviously you can make those statements and that sounds really you know oh that's really powerful but we don't have necessarily the power to do that. But what we do have the power to do is to start to say, well, before we go to demolition, can we just talk about deconstruction? In fact, can we go back a step? Can we talk about deep retrofit? Can we talk about how this value system works? Like, how do we see these buildings? We might see them as negative because they don't give us certain things financially or economically or you know, space efficiency wise. But what are the other value systems that are there? So that's almost like actually writing another stage into the Reba work stages, isn't it? If you could have the first one, which was not just the kind of the briefing and whatever, but the proper rigorous cost benefit analysis. I mean, this is almost going back to the, you know, Cedric Price thing or people tell you they want an extension. Do they actually want a divorce? That, you know, <laughs> yeah. that real like before you take on any job, you're going to go through the conversation, which is yeah. a very structured conversation about whether it's needed or not. I've got to say one of the, the, the things I was really impressed about that Aiken was doing was um, you're really facing head on the really nerdy stuff. Aren't you? I love the events you're doing that go with the Reba <laughs> work stages. I love the fact that you're identifying that, you know, procurement and specification and mm-hmm. contracts and all those things. The small print is kind of the devil is in the detail, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think, it's, it, you know, it's great. Um, so do you think there's been a step change? Because I feel like, you know, when I was leaving architecture school, the kind of language of um, environmental change and activism was very philosophical. It was very high level. I don't think it was less passionate, um, but, you know, it was, it was more poetic in a way, whereas you're almost being determinedly nerdy, aren't you? <laughs> and, you know, is, that, is that a mature stage of activism, do you think? I think activism has gone through stages, and I, I think um, we've certainly you can see generations of activists and you can also see how they've been ignored. And I, I think the, the current, the way that we're tackling it at the moment is, is using science, using facts and figures that people can't run away from, mm. can't um, argue with that, that when, when you present something with numbers behind it, when you, when you make a scientific model of something and show the extrapolation from that, you can't hide from that and you can't sort of greenwash it. We, we, we sort of, uh, we, we just need to tackle these things now. And, and I, I think this is the best way that we've got to do it at the moment. I think you're right. I think having the the backup, having the evidence base is really important because then you are at the table, you're you're validating your argument, you're 
you are to be taken seriously when you have got that backup. But I think the other thing that we haven't, we try not to forget is that we're continually striving to do a little better than, than, than that. We are trying to also bring it in a positive light. We need to start changing the language again. I'm a, <laughs> I keep coming back to the language, but it's so important. This yeah. has got to be stopped like seeing this as a negative, as something that you have to add on, as something that you have to pay for, as something that you have to give up. It, you know, the longer we hang on to that sort of language, the more damaging it's going to be. This is an opportunity. This isn't something that we can do better. This is like, you know, a great privilege to be able to really turn this huge ship around and, and do something really positive, really like additive, um, instead of it always being this notion of like, oh, well, I don't want to have to do that because it's going to mean this. Yeah. You know, that we, has we really, to change. That's it. We really need to fight the idea that it costs more to be sustainable. And like, I can't see the air quotes. <laughs> on the way, but it, to, to be sustainable and, and to, to, to just do good enough, that's such a low ambition. Mm. Hey, when you look mm. at the word sustainability, and yes, it's been totally devalued by being overused uh, in the last few years, but to understand what that means is just carrying on in the status quo. Yes. That's so pathetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we need to be regenerative and building something better. And that's what we need to be talking about now is the benefits that you can get by doing something better. The health benefits, the, the sort of cost benefits, the environmental benefits to, to nature, to people, to, to our future generations that aren't born yet. We're, we're just at the, the sort of beginning of, of something. So it is, it's a paradigm shift, isn't it? It's mm. a phrase, but that really is what we're talking about. Yes, um, which involves a fundamental rewriting of the rules and most importantly, changing the mindset. So um, is our education system doing its bit? I mean, obviously, that's where the mindset starts, isn't it? The, the education group is one of our biggest. And yes. it really benefits from the energy and enthusiasm that students have and, and the young people have right now. Mm. Uh, and also their time. They seem to have a bit more time <laughs> than company directors and, and uh, architects working their fingers to the bone. But I, I think, yes, education is an, a fundamentally crucial part of it. But by the time, if, even if we educate our sort of first years now and, and they, they become the best climate-aware architects they can be, by the time they're in a practice with a position to make any change, it's too late. This is AT Conversations. You can listen to the back catalogue at architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcast. Hey, we've got, what is it, nine years left to, to mm. halve our carbon emissions, according to IPCC. Mm-hmm. So there, there is, there's no way that just by changing our education system we can tackle this. We need to tackle it at every level through the profession and beyond. And we need to work outside of our profession to ensure that clients, contractors, the general public know how much of an impact the construction industry has and how much of a benefit it could have. Yeah, I think so. And I think if we need to also look at education as, you know, beyond 
your studies, you know, it's, it's continuing. It's the whole way through your career. You know, we're obviously always very, very busy working very, very long hours and we don't have time for more CPD or we don't have time to like educate ourselves further. And that is just unacceptable. You know, you choose where you're, where you're going, what you're doing, what you're researching. Loads of practices have R&D elements of the work that they do. We all should. And there's no reason for this not to form a significant part of that. Mm. Um, You're right about the paradigm shift and it does need to like happen across the board. But I think, um, and Sam and I had talked about this before, you know, Scott McCauley, who's one of our coordinators, but also runs the Anthropocene Architecture School, um, we did a, a talk together at um, one of the schools and something that he said to the students in that discussion was just everything. He said, you've got more power than you have been told. It's not you have more power than you think you do. It's you have more power than you have been told. And that applies to every architect, I would say. You know, we think we can't change this. We think we're beholden to this person or that person. We have got, we have absolutely got capacity for change. We just haven't really embraced it yet as a as an entire profession um and and that's a really simple mindset change that you can make yourself yeah. and I, I think that that's where we've we've worked on being the nerds uh, and I, I i i'm quite enjoying like the being an activist and a nerd and a and a an anarchist and but the the point of producing these sorts of reports like the embodied carbon report and the circular economy series they they're all about being at the table being at the tables where decisions are made and we can't do that by just being outside with placards mm. we need to work our way into the room bring these people into our network and expand throughout all of the industry bodies uh, and ensure that the this radical agenda and again i think we need to define the word radical it's about okay. the systemic change okay. and working from the most basic to to really fundamentally change what we're doing and i think we we need to retain that professionalism as we're doing this and and retain that that uh that respect that knowledge base that we've got going back to your point about the importance of of language I mean I think it's absolutely genius I wasn't um being flippant you know I think working with the kind of the language of the RBA and the work stages and all those things and actually kind of filtering a radical agenda through that is is brilliant because in a way it's not so much that um maybe previous generations of activists were I mean your phrase was ignored it's more that they allowed themselves to be marginalized Mm. by using the language of the margins you know um so but but I've realised belatedly that initially I described ACAN as a movement, and I don't know if that was the correct word, because listening to you, I'm thinking everything you're saying about defining the profession and its agenda and where it is and how it operates, that feels almost like it's the Institute. You know, are you actually, in a way, an alternative RIBA? Are you a challenger to them? (laughs) We have had people who donated what would have been their RIBA fee to us. So I, I don't think we're there yet. <laughs> I don't think that's a fair thing to put on us. I think it's constantly evolving. We don't quite even know what we are. And we've had so much trouble even trying to draw a diagram of what we are. Mm. And we've, we've had some attempts and tried to visualise uh, what we are and define it. 
Uh, we will be, uh, I'm in the process of doing the paperwork to uh, incorporate as a charitable community benefit society. Mm. So that, that was the, the model that fit us best. And it's, it's a form of cooperative. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's kind of what we are. We're, we're a network that is supporting each other. And yeah, I mean, I would say that the, the reason that it has been difficult to draw a line around what we are is because it is agile and it's responsive as well as being proactive. So it doesn't sit in yeah. one sort of space all of the time and we are very much trying to get ahead of where we need to be but at the same time we're also reacting to the environment that we're in um and so we've recognized that probably what we need to do is and you know we've we've kind of collected diagrams and visualizations of what we are and that's true for that moment and then we move next and then we come back and we go actually it's changed this way and now we move forward and we sort of keep coming back to our touchstones. I mean, mainly we keep coming back to our aims and our behaviours and making sure that the work that we're doing is aligned with those. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, our aims are decarbonised now, cultural transformation and ecological regeneration. So we kind of keep coming back to those things and making sure that we are pushing those agendas um, to the best of our abilities. Do you know, I've got this lovely picture in my head of an organisational diagram that looks like a kind of Jackson Pollock painting or something. <laughs> yeah. like that. That's probably the best one, yeah. <laughs> you should see our mirror boards. That's exactly what they look like when you zoom out. It's just beautiful chaos. And that's that's what nature is. That's what organisms are. Like your body yeah. is full of all these cells all doing their own little thing. Yeah. And like to to understand there's so many different ways of viewing it you can you can take x-rays you can take cat scans you can paint it you can take a photograph of the human body but like you can't understand it wholly from any one of those perspectives so that's i think what we're coming up against here is we're trying to picture ACAN is that we are this organic form that is constantly changing and evolving and progressing and that's that's great that's like that's part of um what we're trying to do we're trying to really embody these like this cultural transformation mm. and share our values of openness and honesty and 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 radical listening um that and and sort of push them out through the network we use a lot of hand signals during our meetings and everyone who joins goes Oh, I keep waving my hands during during meetings at work. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> I tend so waving hands like uh, like jazz hands. That's that means I agree in yeah. a sort of hand signal system, mm-hmm. uh, and it 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 comes from applause in, in uh, sign language. But having a screen full of people waving their hands at you when you make a point is so fulfilling. Mm. And I would love that to get into every uh, client meeting, every sort of every board meeting where you raise a point and you don't quite know whether anyone else agrees with you. And then suddenly you see some hands rise Mm. and that, that sort of listening to each other, communicating and being open and bringing your whole self to what you do, I think is what we're trying to, to bring across into, into the industry. I think two things I would just add to that is that Fundamentally, I mean, we've used words like radical and we've used things, you know, words like um, anarchists. And that may be true. I I kind of don't really think of that too much. 
because it's sort of doing what's necessary more than anything else. And those words often come with a sort of a negative connotation. And I have to say, it is the most positive experience of my life, having been involved in ACAN. That sounds dramatic, but it's true. <laughs> and, and it really is positive. We come away from every single meeting feeling either spurred on to take something further, energised or supported and cared from. And at the very, very like highest level, I have made like this huge network of friends. Like it's a very, very positive experience. There's nothing to be afraid of actually here. If, if anything, I just don't understand why everybody is involved. Yeah, I, I don't know why we didn't do this earlier. But, but yeah, <laughs> I, I, you can have this really terrible day and then go, oh, I've got to go to an ACAM meeting this evening. And you sit down for two hours and I have never walked away from an ACAM meeting sad or annoyed like, Every time I'm refreshed, I'm I'm sort of energized by what we what we're talking about, what we're doing, what we're planning, what has happened, to what the the other members of the network have have been able to do, and it's it's a constant source of pride and joy, and has fundamentally changed how I approach so much of my life. So how can other people get involved? It sounds, you've done a brilliant sales pitch. It sounds like, <laughs> sounds like a right laugh. <laughs> it sounds life affirming. Um, what, what, what's the next step for people listening? Go to our website, first of all, architectscan.org. And from there, you can find all sorts of um, information. You can see what the groups are. You can have a look and see where you want to get involved. Hmm. Run all the social media channels. You can sign up to our mailing list. Um, our our website, uh, we, we manage a lot of our meetings through WhatsApp. And so most of our um, joining links are readily available as well. And it is as simple as join that group and come to the first meeting and you will be welcomed with open arms. Yeah. Honestly, it's always so exciting to have new people come. So we hold, know, Sam, if you've got anything to add. Yeah, we, we hold open meetings. Uh, they were monthly when we were in person. They, they, they grew a little bit when we were online, but essentially come along to any of the meetings. You can, there's an events page on the website and that usually has the most up-to-date events on it um, and, uh, or follow us on Eventbrite. And that's probably the simplest way. Just come along and see what we're up to, see what we're talking about. They're, they're always a good, they're always interesting. I think that they'll always give you something to think about. And then when you see a, a group that you're particularly interested, if you're if you're really interested in, in sort of refurbishment of existing buildings or you're excited about a circular economy, then you can join those specific groups. And I think um, there are so many campaigns already running that you can just sort of get involved with. Um, you can start your own if, if there's something that you have thought of that we haven't. Like we're totally open for people coming in and going, I want to do this, and, and we'll support as much as we can in doing those things. Um, but if you just want to come to events and you just want to listen to things, if you just want to be part of uh, what's going on, part of the conversation, then yes. you can be as involved as much or as little as you like. Um, and all of that is valid. It's it's all part of of this listening and this sort of uh, sharing knowledge. Sarah um, and Sam, it's been an absolute joy talking to you both. Your enthusiasm <laughs> and passion is completely <laughs> infectious. Um, thank you. You've been listening to eighty conversations with me, Isabel Allen. You can subscribe free of charge at architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcasts.